I'm Dmitry Trenin, director of the Carnegie Moscow Center. I come from uh, the very heart of Moscow, the Arbat area. And while I consider myself to be a true Moscovite, I've only had two employees in my life. The current one is the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. The Moscow Center is one of the six centers, including Washington, D.C., that the endowment operates globally, and we call ourselves the global think tank. Prior to that, and I've been with Carnegie since 94, for 21 years, I've been uh, in the armed forces, mostly of the Soviet Union, and for the final couple of years of the Russian Federation. My military service took me to different parts of the world, starting with Iraq. I was in Iraq from 75 to 76, was stationed at a former British Royal Air Force Base in Habaniya, which is between Ramadi and Fallujah, very famous towns. I didn't know then that they would become famous for the wrong reason. Then I spent time in East Germany with the Soviet External Relations Branch, as it was known then, which was uh, part of the headquarters of the group of Soviet forces Germany that dealt with wartime allies. The whole system of having military liaison missions on both sides of the Iron Curtain was a legalized and tolerated form of reciprocal information gathering, call it intelligence gathering. You had dozens of uniformed military people patrolling the other half of Germany throughout the Cold War and reporting back to the capitals what the situation was on the central front, behind the front lines. And that, I think, helped keep the Cold War cold. I also spent time in Geneva in the 80s on staff of the Soviet delegation to the nuclear and space talks with the United States, the INF Treaty, the First START Treaty. And I spent some time in Moscow teaching, researching. Predictability. I think that Putin is, in strategic matters, a more predictable politician or statesman than most leaders that I can think of. He is very unpredictable when it comes to tactics. On the domestic side, when it comes to personnel decisions, it's impossible to predict his choice of a prime minister, for example or of some other important figures in the government. In 2014, at the beginning of the Ukraine crisis, he clearly stunned the world by ordering action in Crimea. And then, although that was not made official, ordering military support for the rebels in Donbass. I think that he uses his uh, quote-unquote unpredictability in uh, foreign affairs as a tool to even out the chances. He is working from a position of weakness. The Soviet Union worked from a position of strength, and in some cases, from the position of superiority. Now, Putin's Russia comes from a very different position, and it doesn't want to lose, so it has to use uh, various tactics in order to keep the opponent off balance, surprise the opponent, and that's what Putin has been doing. But this is only, in my view, tactical. In strategic terms, with regard to Ukraine,
Putin told NATO leaders back in April 08 at a rare NATO summit in Bucharest at a dinner party, whether Ukraine would be given membership action plan to join NATO was very much at the top of people's minds at that very moment. He basically said that if Ukraine were to make a step in that direction, it will not sustain itself. The country will split. Some people would go with Russia. Other people would go the other way. Well, people took that as an example of Putin being disdainful about Ukraine, having no respect for that country, being um, an imperialist or a Russian crypto-imperialist talking about Ukraine. But basically, he was, I think, giving a preview of what would happen if Ukraine were to join the West, particularly in strategic terms, i.e. through the NATO membership road. So I don't think that he is inscrutable in strategic issues, but on the tactical level, he can, he can, he will do things that would uh, keep the opponent off balance because he, ha- he does want to lose very clearly. The notion that what Putin has been doing in Ukraine in, and in Syria was meant to distract the people's attention from uh, the difficult economic situation at home. I don't think when he was toasting New Year 2014, he was raising his glass to a Russian Crimea. At the time of the Ukraine crisis, when it was reaching its decisive moment, Putin was preoccupied with the Winter Olympics in Sochi. Russia had spent $50 billion on showing the world how modern and how global Russia had become, including under Putin's leadership. So a military operation in Ukraine was not on Putin's agenda until the toppling of the government in Kiev. And the government was not toppled by the Russians. I don't think there would have been a leader in Russia who could have ignored developments of that nature in a country so strategically important to Russia as Ukraine. Had that person neglected his duty, he would have been removed, in my view. So Putin did what any Russian leader would have done in his position. He reacted. Now, the way to react, of course, that's different. That's Putin. Putin took responsibility for bringing Ukraine into Russia, for using military force in Ukraine. He sought and received a formal authorization from the Russian parliament to use uh, military force, not just in Crimea, but in Ukraine. An un- totally unprecedented step. But that showed how big the threat he perceived coming from Ukraine. He clearly knew that those things would constitute a sea change in Russia's domestic evolution. He did what he could to make sure that the bulk of the Russian people would stand behind him on the issue of Ukraine, on the issue of Crimea. I think he got a 20% bonus in terms of public approval of his policies. Prior to the Ukraine crisis, his approval ratings were in the low 60s. After that, they uh, jumped to the low to mid 80s. So that's the Crimea bonus. Did he plan that bonus? Clearly not. He used this situation to encourage the Russian people to rally around the flag, 
which they did. But can you blame him for that? I don't think you can. Syria, again, a lot of people used to say that Syria was done primarily to deflect the attention from Ukraine and to get even more support from the Russian public. Well, when I came to work right after the announcement of the Russian military operation in Syria, I had uh, several members of my staff, all women of a certain age, lining up at my door. And they all had one question. Will our sons be sent to Syria to fight? Because immediately when the word Syria was in the air, at the back of the minds of so many Russians, there was another word, and that was Afghanistan. It was not a popular thing to do at all. So he took great risks by ordering an operation. He didn't know whether it would be a success, but he was taking a risk. I wouldn't say a gamble, but clearly a big risk. And it was not done to boost his popularity by another few percentage points. When you are at 85, that's, that's basically the limit. The only way is down south. I think Putin is about two things as a leader. He wants to keep Russia in one piece, an incredibly difficult job that both his predecessors failed to complete. In fact, they did the opposite. One of them led it to the utter collapse of the country, Mikhail Gorbachev. The other one, Boris Yeltsin, almost pushed it to that line. Putin uh, wants to hold the country together. Difficult, as I said, difficult job, not impossible, but exceedingly difficult. The other thing is to restore Russia's position among the countries of the world to that of a recognized great power, a power whose voice counts, a power that can decide its own security interests for itself, doesn't have to ask people in Washington or in Brussels. When I look at uh, how Russia is usually portrayed in the Western media, I see it's a caricature. As a Russian, I don't care because uh, I know what the country is. I live there. I know Russia's failings pretty well. I know its past crimes. I think I know a little bit about Russia's history and a little bit about its present situation. But I don't think caricatures are very useful as guidance for smart Western policies or U.S.-European policies vis-a-vis Russia. Another thing that worries me is that a lot of people that I come in contact with seem to have um, a set of truths, quote-unquote, about Russia that are based on certain ideologically grounded and politicized view of the country. And that worries me more because I see, with Russia being an example, the narrowing of the minds of very many people in Europe and in the United States. That reminds me of uh, the Soviet Union, which I also remember pretty vividly. With one exception, people in the Soviet Union, when they were fed government propaganda, they basically approached it with a huge grain of salt. They knew that what the government was telling you served the purposes of the government. And also lots of Russians in those days, the Soviets, listened to the BBC, the Voice of America, the Deutsche Welle, and other foreign broadcasters. And they developed a cynical, fairly cynical view, not trusting anyone, but getting snippets 
of information here and there and painting a picture for themselves that was if not complete then it was uh, healthy uh, in one sense it was somewhat critical and self-critical a lot of people that i see today or read on the social media seem to have no doubts they say that since there's no government propaganda in the west as such there's the voice of america which is government financed but apart from that the establishment line which is fairly non-controversial from one end of the spectrum to another conditions the people to think in one direction to accept what they are being given as the truth any contact with russian government propaganda is considered to be dangerous because it it's credited with having a capacity to contaminate western minds you listen to or you read sputnik you uh, watch rt as a former soviet person i interpret that as lack of uh, confidence in one's own interpretation you become defensive when you know that you're not as strong as you would wish to look or to be and that makes me think a little bit harder about how solid western political systems are today and i'll end on the quote from yuri andropov who became the leader of the communist party of the soviet union uh, right after brezhnev's death in november 1982 andropov who prior to that for 15 years was head of the KGB said in his first public address to the central committee of the party that quote unquote we don't know the country in which we live and i think he was right about the soviet union and i wonder do we know enough about the united states and what we know how how true is our knowledge